welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Got a couple of questions for you today. How much money do you think you need to buy a good burger these days? I'm thinking maybe eight bucks, really good burger. How much time do you need to shovel your driveway the morning after a huge snowfall? Depends on the size of your driveway, but you probably know for ours, it's probably 20, 25 minutes. How much internet speed do you need to support, say, four devices that are running at the same time in your home or apartment? There's some amount, right? How about this question? How much faith do you need to be a believer? How much love do you need to truly make a difference in the world? I mean, those are very different questions, right? Um, You can quantify how much money you need for a burger, how much time you're going to need to shovel, or how much internet speed you need to support your devices, but how do you quantify faith? I mean, it feels like a totally different question. How much faith do you need to be a believer? How much love do you need to make a difference in the world? In some senses, okay, it's mystery. It's kind of a different thing, but we would never accept those kinds of answers. You just believe, or I have faith, or whatever faith you have, it's enough, or all you need is love. We say those kinds of things about faith, about love, but we would never accept it. That's not going to get you a burger. Well, I I think I'm just going to give you what I have, and hopefully it's enough for you to give me a burger, right? I really believe that I can shovel my driveway in four minutes even though it always takes me 24 minutes. Um, Or, hey, how much internet speed do I need to support these devices? Well, you just need internet. Don't worry about how much, right? We would never accept those in daily life, but when it comes to matters of faith and love, we sort of wrestle and think, well, it's just, it's how much faith you have, or you just gotta believe, or you just gotta love. Love is the most important thing. And I know we're talking about different things. We talk about faith and love, but can we quantify it? in some way? Can we define it in a way? I think we need to. We need to for a whole lot of reasons because we need to know what it is we mean when we say we have faith or we believe. We need to know because in many ways, if we don't define it, if we can't bend it down, it just lives up in this world that is very disconnected from our day-to-day life. And in fact, many of us, perhaps maybe you've never come to church or you haven't come to church in a while or whatever, because it just felt so irrelevant, disconnected from your everyday life. Because in some sense, we're not able to define it or quantify it. We need to actually know, for some of you that are even exploring faith, well, what is it exactly we're talking about? And certainly for a church like ours, where we have described our vision statement and what it means to be our church, the well, as deep faith, wide embrace. That sounds nice. Deep faith, wide embrace. Nice ideas. What does that actually mean? And our staff team actually felt that we were at a point, at a really important point in the life of our church to be able to stop and spend time articulating, re-articulating our vision. What does it mean to have a deep faith and a wide embrace? Because we want to know, what does it mean to be a part of our church? What does it mean to have faith for you to have a concrete understanding of what this means for your life and how it works itself out in your everyday? And so over the next few weeks, we're actually going to be exploring what does our, what do we mean by deep faith, wide embrace? And here's my hope and my prayer for you as you come along this journey, 
that as you're listening, you would hear something that makes you say, oh yes, that's, that's for me. That's what I want. That's what I long to have. That means something of substance to me in my everyday life, in my faith. And that you would have the experience of saying, oh yeah, this is a community of people. This is a place where I feel called to. Certainly if you're new to faith or exploring faith or you're new to our church, this would be really important for you to go, yeah, this is what it means for me and this is the place that it means for me to continue to grow in my faith. But even if you've been a part of our church for many years or perhaps you came from religious backgrounds or whatever kind of faith background, to know what do we mean when we say faith, a deep faith especially, and what does that mean to be a part of a community of faith? Today we're going to start our journey um, in uh, a passage where Jesus says one of the most um, stunning, controversial, but really concrete things about faith, about what it means to believe. And I'm going to have that, you're, you're going to hear that read for you, and then we're going to spend some time kind of unpacking the context. That's all we've been learning about context in Scripture and how important that is. I'm going to unpack some of the context around it because we're not Jews living in a first century Greco-Roman agrarian society. And so there's some things we're going to need to know to understand to help us feel and have a more uh, concrete sense of what does it mean to have faith? What did Jesus mean when he talked about this? And so let's have a listen together. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. You go to the festival. I am not going up to the festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. What does it mean to have deep faith? I think Jesus actually gives us a very concrete, but as I said, a very controversial uh, description about what that means. But, um, and I think you could read it and probably draw some meaning from it even as you were listening. But let me give you a little bit more of the context to just kind of um, make our understanding of this even richer. Uh, first of all, this is taking place, it says, in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles were one of three Jewish pilgrimage festivals. And so I want to think about the fact that there were Jews spread out all over Palestine, all over the area of Judea, and in some even beyond there. But Jerusalem was the, kind of the center of um, Jewish life, and not just political life, but religious life. The temple was there. And so three times a year for different festivals, Jews would make their way, pil pilgrims, like the pilgrimage, they would travel to Jerusalem. So it would swell to like three times the size of its normal population. So you have to imagine during the Feast of Tabernacles, the city is packed. 
The Feast of Tabernacles itself was a feast that was remembering God's rescue of Israel from slavery and his provision for them in the desert when they kind of because when they left Egypt and after being generational slaves and God rescued them out of Egypt, they wandered around in the desert for a while where God provided for them until they got into the promised land. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration that remembered God's rescue and God's provision for them in the desert. And it was like an eight-day party. I mean, they made this pilgrimage and they would eat, feast together with extended family um, for, for eight days straight or seven days straight, really. And then there was an eighth day after. Um, they would sleep very little. Uh, and in fact, they would, they would come to the temple every day as part of that ceremony. So this was like um, uh, sort of a, a, a loaded um, experiential thing for these people. Uh, uh, it, 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 the, 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 the predominant symbol or feeling or experience of the Feast of Tabernacles was joy. Joy, just remembering God's provision for them, feasting together with friends and family for eight days straight. The second context you have to understand going around here is that there was increasing fame and notice and notoriety, but also skepticism about Jesus. Like people were asking, who is this guy anyway? What is the deal with Jesus? Um, we know there was a lot of people who were loving his teaching, who were talking about his miracles. Word was spreading all over the Judean countryside and even trickling all the way to Jerusalem about this amazing teacher and who performed amazing miracles and taught with such authority and power like people had never heard. Um, but there was also skepticism, not just from the religious leaders who were like, hey, this guy is setting himself up as a rabbi. People are saying that they're learning more from him than they are from us. <laughs> People are saying he's teaching them more about God than they're learning at the temple in Jerusalem. And he's all, he's in a synagogue. He's from this backwater town, Galilee. Who is this man? But actually, we know there was skepticism even with his own family. This passage begins with his brother saying, oh, if you're, if you're the man, if you're such a big deal, you should go public with it. Go up to the Jewish festival. Make yourself known uh, in the center of life because it says they didn't really believe him. So there's this Feast of Tabernacles going on where many of Jesus' family and uh, extended family would have been going up to this temple from where he lived in Galilee for the, for the celebration. There's increasing fame, notoriety, but also skepticism and questions about who Jesus really is. And then uh, the passage actually zeroes in on what it's called the last and greatest day of the feast. And this is what you need to know is every day during the Feast of Tabernacles, people would go to the temple, like thousands of people crowding around this temple for the daily water ceremony uh, that was a part of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so every day they'd be feasting and then they'd go to the temple at one point of the day and they would watch the priests in a procession and one or several priests would have um, buckets or these big basins of water that they would take from a nearby pool and they would walk kind of through all the people up the long temple steps to the altar, which was visible to everyone. And then they would pour this water onto the altar and they would do this every day. And the water was symbolic, ultimately, of sort of God's life and provision. God had provided water for them in the desert um, when, they, when they needed water to drink. Um, water represented life. They lived in a sort of a desert climate, not even just their history as times when they were in desert cities, but Jude, the Judean desert was just uh, beyond the, the stretches of the temple, just on the other side uh, of where Jerusalem was. And so um, water in the desert, water in that climate represented life and life-giving um, 
um, sort of things. And so every day you'd see this priest um, pour the water over the altar and people would watch. Um, but it was also for them more than just the religious ceremony. The water pouring onto the altar, and in fact, the last day, the priest would circle the altar seven times. And in fact, some believe they actually poured water seven times and that some of the water might have flown out of the altar down the steps of the temple. And at this moment, in this ceremony, people would have remembered something that one of their prophets, Ezekiel, had said like several hundred years ago. It had much more to do than just this day and this ceremony. But it was this vision that God had given the prophet Ezekiel that one day water would flow from the temple into the desert, all the way through the desert, giving life to everywhere it went into the Dead Sea, which was 25% um, sort of salt content so that nothing, nothing lived in the Dead Sea. That's why they call it the Dead Sea. It's a very creative name. Um, that one day that water of God would flow from the temple through the desert into the Dead Sea and dead things, the, the Dead Sea would actually become alive and everything in it would have life. It was this picture of a future day, a hope that Israel was longing for, where one day their, their ethnicity, their, their religion, their religious status, their social status, everything would be restored um, and be made new and made alive again. They wouldn't be under the occupation of the Roman uh, Empire or the Greek Empire before them or the, Syri the Persian Empire before them or the Babylonian Empire before them. They had been under the thumb of one empire or another for four or five hundred years. They were looking forward to a day when that would be over. This idea of water flowing through the desert to the Dead Sea was this idea of restoring Israel's fortunes, Israel's prosperity. And so when they saw the priest doing this every day and pouring the water, this wasn't just a celebration of what God had done for them in the past. This was this loaded political, religious, social celebration and expectation of hope of a future someday, one day when God would come through for them. And so it was a festival of joy, but there were high hopes. And that's the context of this whole thing. Now think about this for a moment. They've been watching this priest pour the water seven days. And on the eighth day, they're circling the altar, pouring lots and lots more water. And it says at that moment, Jesus stood up and in a loud voice, he says, whoever believes in me. <laughs> At this moment, seeing the water flowing, Jesus gets up and says in a loud voice, whoever believes in me, water will flow from them. I will give them water and water will flow from, from this inside of them. It was this way of Jesus saying something absolutely stunning, absolutely controversial, absolutely unexpected. This is all about me. This is all about me. And this is for everyone for anyone. Whoever believes in me. This is all about me, and this is for everyone. <laughs> Think about it, this moment. It was Jesus taking these symbols of, they would have seen priest, they would have seen temple, they would have seen altar, they would have seen water, they would have seen ceremony, they would have seen and remembered all of the expectations of them, of their hope as a nation. And it's like Jesus taking the camera and turning the whole thing to him and saying, all of this that you've seen, it's about me. This water that brings life, that brings renewal, that God is going to bring to one day renew your fortunes and bring dead things back to life and, and make dead things grow. It's all about me. Whoever believes in me, I will give them the water of life. 
You don't need that anymore. You don't need a priest. You don't need a temple. You don't need these religious ceremonies. You don't need that water. You need me. (laughs) Drawing his attention to him. And we know this is exactly what Jesus was doing because the following chapters, which many of you have read as we've been reading through um, the scriptures on our daily reading plan, been reading through this gospel of John, John's biography of Jesus. This is the part in the next several chapters where there's all kinds of arguments about who Jesus really is and how, what gives you the right to say these things about yourself to the point that they wanted to kill him because they said, hey, you're saying you're greater than the temple, you're greater than the priest, you're greater than the sacrifice. People don't need any of this. They need you. You're making yourself equal with God. Jesus was taking all of these religious symbols and ceremonies and placing himself at the center of it all. This is all about me. But what exactly, like if Jesus is saying, this is what whoever believes in me, he's placing himself at the center of all of us, but he never believes in me. But what exactly does Jesus mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to have, if I can say this, have faith in him? What is Jesus talking about when he says, hey, whoever believes in me, you're going to get this. What exactly is the invitation that beautifully, not only did Jesus say, this is about me, he said, this is for everyone, which is the other stunning part of it. He was basically throwing the doors wide open. This is not just for certain people or certain people from an ethnic group or certain people who have a life that looks holy or certain religious people who know enough about the Torah or about the Bible or about God. He says, this is for everyone. Anyone who comes to me, everyone who believes in me gets life. But what exactly does he mean? What does he mean to believe? Because in one sense, this image of like water flowing from the inside of you is kind of strange. Like, and how does that even happen? What does it mean to believe in Jesus, to get life? He actually talks about these uh, rivers of living water. Um, that, that word, living, can mean flowing, but it's also from the Greek word zoe, which means, as you've heard me speak before, the Greeks had two words for life. One was bios, just means physical life, but the other one was zoe life. Like life from the inside, this ever, never-ending stream of vitality and life from the inside flowing out of you. You'll, that's the idea of you'll never thirst again. In other words, this, this source of life that replenishes you from the inside out. And it's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> that. Like, and he says, whoever believes in me. But how? What does that actually mean? On one level, the writer of John goes on to say, this is a miracle that you can't make happen yourself. He says when Jesus was actually talking about this, he was talking about the Spirit. This is a miracle for you to have a source, an unending source of life flowing from the inside of you. It's a miracle you cannot make happen yourself. This is actually something God does in you. And Jesus says, yeah, this is, this is not something you can make happen for yourself. That's why you have to come to me. And it's through God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, that each of us have the opportunity to be made alive from the inside. Remember, this whole thing is about dead things coming to life, of new life. But How? Like is that, it was just like, oh, well, you can't make it happen. Just come to me. What, what part do we play when Jesus says, whoever believes in me? That's the part he plays. He says, hey, you need to come to me. You need to believe in me, and I do this miracle of new life in you. But what does that mean? What is belief in Jesus? It's a strange image for us. In other words, this idea of water kind of flowing from the inside. But it's possible that it would not have been so strange for Jesus listeners, in part because of the festival and what was going on, but in part because of where they lived. And it's possible that what have come to their mind is this image, an image of a canal. 
This image that you're seeing is actually from the Colorado desert uh, in present day because we don't have any really good high-res pictures of the first century. Um, you know, they were drawings and that kind of thing. But this is the same principle, like a canal is a waterway or a thing that is cut in the desert. This is sort of a desert mountainous area of Colorado. But if you think about uh, the Israelites, when... Um, not only did they live in desert areas, but this, the passage that they had talked about, that I had talked about before about Ezekiel, when he talked about water flowing through the desert, was at a time when they lived in Babylon. And Babylon was a city in the desert. And, and any desert towns or cities that were built in the deserts or even in the Judean desert where they were, they had to try to find water to have life. And so they would cut these canals. And if you notice even in this picture, where's the greenest part of the picture? It's all along the canal, right? They actually intentionally planted trees all the way along this canal. And this is what they would do in ancient times. This is what the city of Babylon did. Um, this is what they would do in Jewish times where they would cut canals into the desert and then plant, intentionally plant life all the way along the living water, the flowing water. This idea about life. And the picture actually, and not even just this picture you can see, but that would have been coming up in Jesus uh, the, the disciples' minds and, and the listeners, the, the, everyone who heard this, was trees planted along the canal, getting life from the living water. But if you think about it, that makes sense, right? What are those trees doing? They're drawing life. The, the, the roots are getting life, especially in the desert where you cannot survive without water. The trees are, in a sense, desperate for life. They grab that water. And how does that tree stay alive? Where the source of living water, the water stays within them. It doesn't dry up. It's a continual source of life that allows them to survive and thrive. And Jesus' listeners would also have had in their minds the fact that he and other biblical writers often used the metaphor of a tree planted by streams of water to describe what the life of faith was. In the book of Psalms, in Psalm 1, in Jeremiah 17, one of the prophets, different points, they said, uh, uh, blessed is the person who is like a tree planted by streams of water. Connected. And this wasn't like, don't think like a meadow and a nice, you know, um, little stream trickling by. No, this is like the only way for this thing to survive and have life in the desert if it is planted right next to or into the streams of living water that give it life. And when we start to think about our life of faith or belief like a tree, we, we start to actually starts to make sense of this. Like, what if Jesus was describing faith or belief in him like a tree believes in water in the desert, right? Like, what if our life of faith was like that, that a, a tree believing in water in the desert? What would, it would mean that, uh, first, that, that to have faith or to believe in Jesus has to have our lives deeply connected to him in this ongoing daily relationship of faith, right? That just like roots grow down into the water and stay in the water. It's not like I got it and I'm off. It can't live unless it stays connected to the living water that is flowing. That this idea of like faith is to be deeply connected to Jesus in an ongoing relationship of prayer and conversation and reading scripture and intimacy and worship, this connection of relationship like a tree. But also then that over time, if we do that, that we would begin to 
grow. Slowly but surely, over time, we would grow, grow up. If we're really connected to life and have new life in Jesus, we will over time grow or mature that we would continue to grow like a tree. And then eventually, if that happens, if we are deeply connected and having our, drawing our life from this living water and starting to mature, what happens over time is we become, our lives become a gift, a blessing, or if I can say it this way, our lives become life to others. Just like a tree over time, its branches become a nest and a place for, for birds to nest, like a home for animals or shade, especially in the desert for people and animals or providing fruit, nourishment for people and animals or living things around it. Or even if there's no fruit, like seeds that fall, oxygen, everything that a mature tree does and provides, it gives life to others. It is connected to a life-giving source and becomes a life-giving source. <laughs> What if Jesus was talking about faith or belief in him like that? To believe in Jesus cannot simply mean I believe he exists because all the demons that Jesus was casting out of people earlier in these passages, they also believed he existed, but they did not have rivers of flowing water going within them. This belief is a much more concrete thing than we first perhaps think. It is about the intentionality of being connected to him growing up out of and growing and maturing, becoming more mature, shedding some of our old ways, our old habits, our old patterns, and then becoming a life-giving source to other people. When we describe our vision as a church of deep faith, wide embrace, this is what we mean by deep faith. Lives connected to Jesus intentionally, daily, over time, where we are, our lives are fed by him, where we get life from him, where we learn from him, we're taught by him, we get wisdom from him, instruction, correction, intimacy, love, forgiveness, grace, and that over time we become mature and more stable, able to stand up uh, against the winds and the storms and eventually to become a gift, a blessing, to become life to others. So I just want to just, as we kind of come to the end of this message, I want to slow-mo this down for us and give you a chance to actually contemplate your life, your journey of faith, wherever you happen to be in the journey. If you're not even sure you started or you've just started or you're well down the road, if this is what it means, if this is a very concrete way of thinking about faith or belief in Jesus, we're going to go through a few images and I'm just going to take our time with each one and allow you to consider your life of faith, your journey with Jesus in the context of each one of these images. And I'm trusting that as we go through that, Jesus, just in the same way that he got up in this loud voice in this temple and said, this is about me and this is for everyone, each of us, that each of us would have a, an experience of hearing Jesus offer something to us, invite us into a deeper life of faith with him. Let's start with this picture of the roots, right? What do we see here? Well, the, the tree cannot survive unless it finds water. It is the only source of life. There's a kind of a desperation of the roots to get to water. And in that sense, roots are relentless. They persevere. They go everywhere they can. That's why they're so stubborn when you come across them because they will go to find water wherever they can get it. It's not a nice to have. It's a we cannot survive. I cannot survive without this. The roots are relentless in their search for water. And also there's multiple roots, not just one root that goes down and that's enough. 
the roots, they send out, the tree sends out roots in every direction, looking for life, sustenance, water, anywhere it can get it. As you consider this image, what might Jesus be inviting you into? For some, maybe it's for you to just really realize for the first time or the first time again that he is the only source, the true source of life, that nothing and no one else can provide this miracle of living water from the inside. He is the one we need for life. Or perhaps he's inviting you to persevere, to be relentless in your search, in your pursuit, in cultivating your relationship with him. Or maybe like there's multiple roots going down into this water. Maybe you just need to expand the ways. There's more creativity in your life with God. Maybe you need to pray more or pray regularly or read scripture more regularly for the first time or have more intentional conversations with the people of faith in your life or just show up to weekly worship more. Maybe it's just like sending more roots out because any way you can get it, you need that life. What is Jesus inviting you into? How about this image? The strong and growing trunk of a mature tree. This hasn't happened overnight. (laughs) This wasn't quick. But over time, day by day, bit by bit, this tree has steadily grown. It used to be like a seed under the ground that wasn't even seen. And then a little shoot. And then a little tree and a sapling. And then a giant tree with a huge trunk with deep roots. And that tree can withstand a lot of wind, a lot of rain, even drought, it can grow and thrive. It's mature. So what might Jesus be inviting you into? Maybe he's just reminding you that you have grown. You can't see it every day, but as you look back, you're like, yeah, I'm not the same person I once was. Or in this particular area where I felt stuck, I've grown, I've matured. Maybe you just need to celebrate that today. Or perhaps you're being reminded of an area of immaturity where you have not grown. Where in your relationships or how you think about money or how you think about sex or how you handle conflict or how you handle just your desires that haven't changed much in the last one year, two years, five years, 10 years. You're still the same in some of those areas that actually need to grow. Maybe it's just a certain area or maybe in general, there's a lack of maturity in your life and Jesus is just pointing that out. That the wind and the rain are kind of tossing you around that you need to mature. Or perhaps there's an area of addiction or pattern where you just feel stuck, where you cannot seem to get out of this. What is Jesus inviting you into, to think about, to consider. And then lastly, this picture, the fruit. A mature tree that bears fruit. This fruit is beautiful, good, useful, nourishing, 
to the people around. It doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen all the time. There's seasons, but regularly in every season, a mature, healthy tree bears fruit. So what is Jesus inviting you into? Maybe to just remember, (laughs) to be encouraged that God has made you good and beautiful and useful. Forget what the haters say. Forget what seasons of failure or struggle have been. God has made you beautiful, good, and useful. That is part of your calling and your purpose in life, to be a gift to the world. Maybe this is a reminder that even in the fall or winter seasons, a tree can still be useful. Its maturity can still be a gift to the world. Or maybe he's just reminding you of a time when you were more active in serving and loving others, in giving, in in being a gift to the world. And you remember how alive you felt. That that was good. It's a place that he's inviting you to get back to. What is Jesus inviting you into? Well, what does that mean for you? Maybe, maybe there's something specific already Jesus has put his finger on, and, and that's, if you got that, that's gold. That's great. You run with that. But if not, can I just, you know, kind of give you a couple of possible next steps for you? Because faith, <laughs> we can borrow and change a phrase from our good friend Forrest Gump. <laughs> faith is as faith does. Faith is a verb. It's an action word. Like if I put a chair in front of you and I said, do you have faith in that chair? You'd probably figure out what I'm asking you is, do you trust that to hold your weight if you sat on it or stood on it? Faith can be seen. It's concrete. Do you trust it? (laughs) So what would it mean to trust Jesus? For some of you, it's maybe just the beginning to realize, I need to put my faith in Jesus. It is actually maybe time for you to take a step and put your faith in Jesus. To realize that nothing else and no one else can give me the life that I'm looking for everywhere. (laughs) And for some of you, today is that day to say, Jesus, it's you. For the rest of my life, I want to stay connected to you. I want to realize that the rest of the things I have in life that are good, but they're not God. They're not enough. They are not the source, the ever-replenishing source of living water. It's you. And if that's a step where you want to take, you can just tell him that. You can pray and just commit your life to him to say, for the rest of my life, I want to plant my life in you. I want to grow in you. It's you and no other. You can maybe even sing that during during the song that we're going to close today with. And and if you do, I encourage you to talk to one of our pastors or someone in the church who you know, who has put their life and their faith in Jesus and say, I did that today. Can you help me grow? For others of you, it may be just to to ask someone else for help to grow. Where like you feel stuck or maybe just an area of immaturity and there's someone else in your life who is mature, who's not stuck in that place and say, hey, how did you get unstuck or how can you help me grow? The gift is that we're invited together to grow. And lastly, for others of you, this is a very specific one, but some of you, maybe you've been a part of this church for a while. You're like, yes, this is not just my story, but this is the place where I'm growing, where I am, I have put my life in Jesus here. I'm growing up and mature over time, and I am actually being a gift and a blessing to other people. 
I would just encourage you to maybe come to or consider becoming a member at the well. Like this is a place you say, yeah, I want to make a commitment to all the other trees, all the other, this whole forest of people and community that's growing together. Membership is a way of saying, yeah, I'm in with you. This is not just for me. This is for us. As you're resonating with this vision, deep faith, wide embrace, maybe membership is the next step for you. We're going to close today with a song that we've been singing together over the last year about putting our faith in or building our life on Jesus. And the song borrows from the analogy of building, but I wonder if we sing it today, just thinking about this idea of life as a tree. I mean, even when the storms come and the wind blew, but like my life was rooted in, was built on you. That as you sing this song, that you have a chance to respond to whatever invitation Jesus has given you today about what it means to put your faith in to whoever believes in him. So let's sing that together.